0: If you will, let's open the scriptures tonight to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. We're going to read the last few verses of this chapter beginning in verse 35. And the same day when the even was come. Now reading this chapter, we won't read all of it, but it had been a long day. The Lord Jesus Christ had been teaching. At the beginning of the chapter, he is in a ship out from the shore a little ways, teaching the people, and then on the shore with his disciples and speaking several parables unto them. And now when even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there rose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. From what I've read, the Sea of Galilee was a very shallow sea. And the winds coming down from the mountains upon this sea would quickly produce a storm, a great storm. And that's what happened this evening as they were crossing the sea. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? I want us to thank tonight from this question that is found in in the last verse we just read. The disciples asked, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey? The man that the sea and the wind obeys. What manner of man is this? And I'd like to divide the message into two parts. First of all, Answering that question from the Word of God, and then I would like for us to consider the question itself. So, first, what manner of man is this? Now, I want you to notice they were not asking, their question isn't, is he a man? That's not the question. They recognized that he was a man. He didn't just appear to be a man. You know, We have several instances in the scriptures where angels appeared and they appeared in the form of men. And then we know that soon after the Lord Jesus Christ ascended back into heaven that the Greek philosophy started coming in trying to make inroads in the gospel and it taught basically that anything that was tangible was evil. And so that so they thought and taught that Christ could not have a body. He just appeared to be a man. And that's the reason in 1 John, he begins that official plainly declaring, We have seen him with our eyes and our hands have handled him. Yes, he was a man. The question tonight we are looking at is not, is he a man? No, they knew. He was a man. They saw him eat. We don't know how long the disciples at this point had been with him as his disciples. Maybe a year, maybe less, maybe more. We're not sure. But they had seen him eat, drink, talk, walk, and yes, even grow weary. And I believe that's what is referenced here when we are told they took him even as he was in the ship, that he was tired from that day of laboring and teaching and preaching the word of God. So the question isn't, is he a man or is he just appearing to be a man? Is he just an angel in the appearance of a man, the form of a man? Is he God but not having a body? No, he is a man. He is a man. But what manner of man is this? And I I want to give four answers. There's many others we could look at tonight, but the first is this What manner of man is this? He's the God man. He's the God man. This is what manner of man he is. He is the one person who has ever existed who is both God and man. In one person. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. The apostle Paul said. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. This means of course that he was fully God. He's the eternal son of God without beginning. Having all the attributes of the Father and the Holy Spirit. He's God the Son. Fully God but at the same time. He is fully man. And as Paul said in First Timothy, this is a great mystery. <laughs> the incarnation, this is a great mystery. How it is that God could come into this world, take into union with his, his deity, that body which was prepared him of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit. It's a great mystery how he could be one person, yes, but have two natures, being both God and man. You know, one of his disciples who may have been in the ship, I'm not sure if they were all in the ship this night or not, but one of them who may have been in the ship was named Thomas. And we know that after the Lord was raised from the, de- from the grave that he... The Lord said, Reach hither thy hand and see the marks in my hand and my side. And I don't know. We're not told if Thomas actually did that or not. I don't think he did. But i tell you what he did do. <laughs> he confessed, My Lord and my God. He was looking at the, resu- the same man, but now resurrected from the dead. And he called him. My Lord and my God. So what manner of man is this? First of all, he's the God-man. Second, what manner of man is this? He's the representative man. Now we're all familiar, at least we should be, with representatives because we have that form of government here in our country. We have a house of representatives where men and women are voted on and chosen, sent to Washington, and they serve as our representatives there. There's three hundred million plus people in this world, and can you imagine if they tried to contact each person and and ask them what we wanted to do about a certain matter? It'd never be resolved. So we're familiar with representatives, but the scriptures teach us That God, he too, as we elect men and women to go to Washington as our representatives, God elected two men. He chose two men to be representative men. Now, the first one. Well, let's look at a couple of verses. Let's turn first to Romans chapter 5. This is one of them, this, this man. When they ask, what manner of man is this, this is one of those two men that God chose as a representative man. In, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 19, we'll just read the one verse. The whole passage from verse 12 on to the end speaks of this. But here we read, For as by one man's disobedience, many were made Sinners. So, by the obedience of one, one man, shall many be made righteous. We've got two men here. And this is one of them. When they ask this question, what manner of man is this? He's a representative man. And then, if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 15 in verse 22, the apostle tells us the same thing in this verse. He says, "For 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now I said that God chose two men as representative men. One was this man... In the ship that night. And the other, of course, was the first man, that is, Adam. Your father, my father. He was created holy. He was created in the image of God. He's perfect, but he was not immutable. Immutability is an attribute of God that cannot be created in another being. It's one of those attributes of God which is peculiar to him. Just like omnipotency. Only God is omnipotent. Omniscience. Omnipresence. But some of the attributes of God are communicated to his creatures, like love and mercy and grace. But there are some... That are incommunicable. And immutability is one of them. And the first Adam, yes, he was created in innocence, holiness, and the image of God. But mutable. But mutable. Not immutable. And we know what happened. He sinned. He sinned. But more than that, he represented us. He represented you and he represented me. In other words, he's the root. He's the root from which all mankind springs. And as the apostle tells us in this verse, in Adam, all die. All. No exception. In Adam, all die. You know, he's the only man who became a sinner by sinning. Isn't it? He's the only man. You didn't become a sinner by sinning. You were born a sinner. And you came into this world just like me and everyone else. We were born sinners. We inherited a corrupt nature from our father, Adam. He represented us. And when he fell... We fail. Someone says, I don't like that. Well, wait till you hear the good news. (laughs) If we may be lost in a representative, get this, we may be saved in a representative. That's the good news, isn't it? He's the only man who became a sinner by sinning. All the rest of mankind whom he represented, we're all born sinners now in in the scripture sin is looked at in three ways a debt a debt remember our lord in the model prayer in one gospel it says forgive us our debts and the other gospel forgive us our sins or trespasses so sin may be looked at as a debt And then sin may be looked at as an offense. We've offended God. And sin may be looked at as a crime. We've broken the law. We've disobeyed God. And because sin is looked at in these three ways in the scripture, we have a surety. Now the surety, what is he going to do? He's going to pay the sin debt. If it's going to be paid, it's the surety is going to pay it. We can't pay it. I love that little chorus we sing sometimes. I owed a debt I could not pay, he paid a debt he did not owe. He took our debt as a surety, as our surety, that is a representative of all of those who were given unto him by the Father. As in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. He paid that sin debt of all of those whom he represented. As a representative man and as a mediator, he reconciled all to God. Now how did he do that? By the blood of his cross. We had offended God. We were enemies to God we were enmity with God. And he reconciled all whom he represented under God. And then we were guilty of crimes. How does he t- deal with that? As our substitute. As our substitute. He suffered. The, the crime must be, must be punished. It must be punished because God is absolutely holy. Holy. And think about this, my friend. Every sin is going to be punished. Every sin. Either in the substitute or men suffering the justice of God throughout eternity. But every sin is going to be punished. Why? Because God is righteous. Because God is holy. And it is as our substitute that he suffered in the place of the guilty. The scripture says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, being dead to to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you are healed. What manner of man is this? He's a God man. What manner of man is this? He's a representative man. And third, what manner of man is this? He's a compassionate man. Go back to our text in Mark, if you will. He is a compassionate man. How many times as you're reading through the Gospels, do you read something like this? He was moved with compassion on them. Sometimes the disciples came and they said, send them away. (laughs) Send them away. We can't possibly feed all these people. Send them away. And yet we read, he had compassion on them. In this passage here that we're looking at tonight, he was crossing the sea. And when he reached the other side, if you notice in chapter 5, and came out of the ship, immediately there's a man who meets him who is in bad shape. I mean he's in bad shape. Scripture says when he was come out of the ship, this is Mark 5 and verse 2, immediately there met him out of the tombs. What was he doing out among the tombs, out in the cemetery. What was he doing out there? He was out there because he was a wild man. They tried to chain him, tried to control him with chains, and he had such strength and power he could break the chains. He was a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him. Think about it. No man could bind him. No, not with chains. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ had compassion on him. He's a wild man, naked, living out there among the dead. Nobody else wanted to see him. Nobody else wanted him to come around. Sometimes we see people like that on the streets, don't we? Yeah. It's sad, but it's so. And we just want to kind of stay stay away from them, you know, kind of move away from them. There's some the dress, the the demeanor, all of it, just uh, kind of scary. The Lord Jesus Christ, He wasn't afraid, and He had compassion on this man. You say, how do you know that? Well, look down in verse 19. When the Lord dispossessed this man of these demon spirits and he was in his right right mind and clothed and sitting at the feet of Jesus. And when our Lord was asked to leave by the people there in that area wanted him to leave, our Lord was getting back in the ship. And this man came and He prayed him, verse 18, when he was coming to the ship, the Lord Jesus, he that had been possessed with the devil, prayed him that he might be with him. In other words, I want to go with you. (laughs) Suffer me to go with you. Let me leave with you in the ship. And the Lord said unto him, Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. The Lord Jesus, what manner of man is this? He's a compassionate man. Has he changed? (laughs) No. He hasn't changed. You know, David, in one of the Psalms, he asks this question, is his mercy clean gone forever? Now, When a man of God like David, when he asks a question like that, he's in a very low condition, isn't he? (laughs) Has God just shut up his mercy? Is it clean gone forever? Oh, no. no. We might say the same about his compassion. What manner of man is this? He's a compassionate man. And he hasn't changed. Is his compassion gone? Is his mercy clean gone? Of course not. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Aren't you thankful tonight? He's the compassionate man. And number four, what manner of man is this? He's the reigning man. Look with me, if you will, in 1 Corinthians 15 again. He's a reigning man. First Corinthians 15 and beginning with verse 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ that is coming. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God. Let me just say this. The end's coming. The end's coming. You know, those people that deny, they say, well, all things have continued since the the beginning of the creation. That's not true. Man says that, he, he's lying, he knows he's lying. The fossils testify, all things haven't continued. There was a flood. There was a time when God poured out his wrath upon wicked men and women. And God hasn't changed. And there's an end coming. Men, never think about that. We live and drink, eat, drink and be merry. And that's just the way it's going to be when the end comes. That's the way it's going to be. He shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. Now notice this, for he must reign. He must. Why must he? Because God has set his Son upon his holy hill of Zion. And God has Put into his hands all authority, all power. I'm talking about this man, this God man, this representative man, this compassionate man who's at the Father's right hand tonight and he reigns, he rules over all of God's creation. He must reign. He must reign, the apostle said, till he hath put all enemies under his feet. Now this could be speaking about the fact that when we come into this world even those who he represented we come in as enemies in our mind and he must reign until he has called each and every one of those that he represented. He must. He rules over all of God's creation over all of providence and he's working His will in saving His people. Things don't happen by accident. You're not here tonight by accident. Whenever it was when you heard the gospel, it wasn't by accident. It was God's purpose. It was God's purpose. He must reign, and He's reigning, and and He ruled in your case and in my case bringing all the things that came together to put us under the sound of the gospel. Yes. He crossed our paths. If we're saved tonight, he crossed our paths one day with the gospel. He must reign until every enemy. And if it's not referring to his elect people, then if it's referring to wicked people, he must reign until every enemy is placed under his feet. Now, the last enemy, he says, is death. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. You know, death was the last enemy that came upon man. You think about Adam there in the garden. The first enemy, Satan, came. The second enemy, sin. The last enemy, death. For by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So then death passed upon all men. But the last enemy will be destroyed. He must reign until the last enemy shall be destroyed. Now, he's already destroyed death when he died on the cross. The the sting of death is sin. That's already been removed for his people. When when you die, if you're one of his children tonight, there's not going to be any judgment. There's therefore now no judgment, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. What manner of man is this? He's the reigning man. This is why on the day of Pentecost, Peter declared to those that God had pricked in their hearts, convicted, conviction fell upon them. And they said, what must we do? Peter said, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified. Not some poor little Jesus. Not some poor little Jesus that... Is standing outside your heart's door, knocking, seeing if you will grant entrance. Oh, no. (laughs) He's made him both Lord and Christ. He's reigning, He's ruling. The grace of God that bringeth salvation, Paul said. The grace of God doesn't offer salvation, it brings salvation. He comes to us. In our deadness. In our lostness. And he saves us. If we're saved. And I like it that way. And I want him to have all the glory. Don't you? He deserves it. He merits it. What manner of man is this? He's the God man. He's the representative man. He's the compassionate man. And yes he's the reigning man. Now. Now. Look at the question. What manner of question is this? Well, the scripture here tells us that they they feared exceedingly. In our text, in Mark chapter 4. They feared. And they feared exceedingly. When they saw this man who could stand and rebuke the wind, and the wind obey him, they feared. They feared exceedingly. Now we know that there's more than one kind of fear. There's a fear that a child may have for a cruel and abusive father. Afraid of him. Hate to see him come home. There's that kind of fear. But there's a fear that a child has for a loving father. A father he cannot wait to see come through the door and run and embrace. Now that kind of fear we call reverence. Reverence. And this reverence, this fear they had. In seeing this one who had such power, such authority. They were overawed by being in his presence. The same about Peter. When he saw what the Lord did filling the nets with fish, he said, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. I don't deserve to be in your presence. That's that's the thing that I see here. The awe, the fear, the wonder of the one in whose presence They now were, and what they had just witnessed, they feared exceedingly. And I say this to you and I tonight. When God enables us by the power of his Spirit to see something of this man, this God-man, this representative man, his power, his great love, his amazing grace, is great mercy, when God the Holy Spirit allows us to see something, just a little bit of this one, who he is, and how he is, then we too fear greatly. We're awed, amazed that he would have anything to do with us. Anything to do with me. But he does. He does. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? I know you do if you're one of his children. Salvation, we sing that hymn, Amazing Grace. Oh, John Newton, grace was amazing to him. It really was. And you know, he's the one that told that story man went to see him one day and told him of a mutual friend whom the Lord had saved. And this William J. was the other man. And he told John Newton, he said, you know, I'd given up on that man. I didn't think there was any hope for him. John Newton said, since the Lord saved me, (laughs) he said, he can save anyone. He can say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I trust the Lord will bless his word. He's a wonderful man too, isn't he? We could just go on and on.